Folks, hello and welcome to episode 123 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We have an illustrious guest for today's show, none other than LAFC legend, Mr. Jordan Harvey will be joining us as today's guest. We're super excited to speak to that LAFC original about his five years with the black and gold and transitioning into the front office. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week will be Jackson Feltz representing the Seattle Sounders. He is part of their radio broadcast team at 93.3 FM KJR Seattle. He also does the pre and post game for the Seattle Sounders. As always, I'm Jonathan Reimer. Joining me this week is Christopher Sines. We would like to send our best well wishes to Christian Aparicio. His family is currently battling the Rona bug. We know that they had to take their young son X uh, to urgent care today. Christian, you and your family are in our hearts, brother. We're hoping that everything goes swimmingly when we get you back on the show soon. But that aside, Chris, good evening and welcome. Hey, hey, how's it going? Black and bold family. Glad to be back. Yeah, again, like Jonathan said, Christian, thoughts and prayers with you and your family. And, uh, you know, we hope to have everybody healthy and back. And it seems like... Uh, this uh, coronavirus is not going away. You know, you see hopes and lights of things going back a little bit to normal and then boom, you see uh, people starting to get sick again. It's just, it's uh, never ending, but I digress. We got some football coming up this weekend, bro. Yes, we are finally back, uh, albeit not to the bank. Uh, we will be heading up to Seattle, but some big news became officially official today. My friend, Giorgio Cellini is officially black and gold. Kelini. That's Chiellini. right, dude. We got to say. So I, there is somebody posted in the LAFC fans page, uh, a YouTube video of some Italian guy who like just goes and pronounces people's names for everybody so that they can say it per- correctly. And he actually did one on uh, Chiellini, I don't know, like a year ago, back when he was playing for Uve. So I, uh, I had to listen to it a couple of times. Giorgio. Giorgio Chiellini. That's it. That's All it. right. All right. Just got to give a little hand motion to it. Then it comes out a little bit easier. But yes, acquired using target allocation money. He will be with the black and gold through 2023, occupying an international roster slot as soon as his P1 international visa comes through. Chiellini is 37 years old, obviously heading over from Serie A side Juventus, where he played for 17 years. He won nine consecutive Serie A titles from 2011 to 20. He was a three-time Defender of the Year from 2008 to 2010. He was named to the Team of the Year five straight times from 2012 to 18. He's won five Italian Cups and five Italian Super Cups. And oh yeah, he's also got 117 caps for the Azzurri of Team Italy, He was a bronze medal winner in 2004. As a center back, he's got eight goals and four assists for his national team and captained them to the 2020 Euro Championship side. He is in Los Angeles, expected to have a press conference Wednesday morning, but he will not be available to join LAFC until our July 8th game versus the Carson Galaxy. All right, Chris, it is officially official. Does this change any of your thoughts we have discussed ad nauseum over the course of the past couple shows about Giorgio? No, I, and I've been reading, you know, and even though 
Uh, he's not a huge fan of LAFC and he's a little biased. Kevin Baxter wrote an article about why mm. Chiellini, he came, he wrote an article about why Chiellini coming to LAFC makes sense. And he, in his article, he talked about his role that he's going to play and that he's not going to be someone that play. He hasn't had, he hasn't played more than 16, 16 matches in a season since like 2018 or 2019. So he's, he's not going to be someone that plays on a regular basis. I think that he's going to be, uh, he's going to definitely have a role, but it's for the mentorship and it's for the opportunity for some of our younger center backs and defenders to learn from his ability and what he has to offer. And so because of those things, like I'm excited to have a person like that in the clubhouse and in the, the locker room, but I, I don't, I'm not sitting here being like, Oh man, this is a player that's going to change the game. But he's also not on a DP contract, right? We're talking about funny money. It's Garber bucks, right? So it's not like LAFC shelled out a DP slot. It's not like we're using one of those most valuable spaces on the roster for this guy. Right. I mean, if he comes in and helps a Mamadou fall, helps a Ibiaga, helps any of these players become better. I mean, I mean, even Eddie Segura, for that matter, I'm sure there are things that all of our center backs don't know. Henry can learn from a player with the experience and pedigree of Cellini. But I agree. I, I don't think we're talking about someone who I, I think there was a Twitter poll going out there. Will he get over under 50 percent of the, the minutes at center back? And I think we're talking about somebody who is under 50%, probably significantly under 50% uh, of those minutes. But with Eddie Segura coming back from injury, you're going to need to manage his load. I think throughout the course of this last month, we saw some poor load management as injuries started to pile up. Guys were forced to play too many minutes and it cost us fitness. It it cost us injuries. and, And frankly, it cost us results as well, too. So any depth, especially a depth of this caliber is fantastic for the team whether he plays 10% of the minutes or he plays 50% of the minutes. And then, of course, like you mentioned, the biggest piece in adding him as far as how it affects this squad is going to be in his mentorship. But how it affects the brand of LAFC and the franchise as a whole, the number of eyes that are going to be on this team from overseas, the exposure that this gives the black and gold to the global community is priceless. Whatever he is making in salary, I'm sure is going to be made up tenfold just in merch sales overseas in eyes that are going to be on this club and attention that's going to be paid to young rising stars as they know they're going to have this kind of tutelage as we look to sell them onto Europe. This is a win across the board for LAFC, even if he only ends up playing 10% of the minutes, in my opinion. I think that that in and of itself is one of the more important things that's coming out of this LAFC being on the minds or in the conversations of people, whether it's in Italian media or European media as a whole, it's things like this that just are going to help the brand be that global brand that we want it to be. So here's the question. He's available to start in his first ever game in a derby at home versus the Galaxy. Do you give him minutes versus Carson, or do you let him just sit that one out and kind of get a feel for the atmosphere and the vibe? I think that if he's had an opportunity to train, like he's here in LA. So I would assume that because he's here, he's going to be able to be at the performance center and going to be able to practice with the squad for a month until that match. And if that's the case, if he is allowed to practice, I would expect that he is going to play in that, in that environment, in that derby, especially because 
that's part of why European players want to play here. The, you know, the, the, there's that interest, right? That's it's the atmosphere, it's the environment, it's it's the things that that's what draws football players to want to play for certain clubs. So I think that yeah, you know, you have to give him that opportunity. He may start the game, and you know, you sub him out, or maybe you just sub him in halfway through, or what have you, based on based on how the first half goes. Do you I think, think that, that play. this is a la when Zlatan arrived in Carson, that they subbed him in in the middle of the game in order to get that that boost and that cheer from the crowd and in order to sort of draw out the moment a little bit and obviously ended up being pivotal in that particular Derby game. Do you think LAFC will follow the same ideology and attempt no. to bring him in later in the game or would you start him? No, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's going to depend on his fitness, right? It's going to depend on how, plus it's going to be, it's going to be like a hundred degrees, you know, how is he going to acclimate to the heat? Um, you know, Italy's pretty warm. I, yeah, I mean, I've never personally been there. I would assume that yes, parts of Italy are warm. I have no idea, but is, you know, that's one of the things that people say about playing in America. That's a huge adjustment versus playing in Europe is the the heat, you know, playing in the summer days is a huge, is a huge uh, game changer for a lot of players. And so I would assume it's no different for a player like him. How is his fitness? How is he going to acclimate to the club? How is he going to integrate himself with uh, Steve Turandolo's ideology and, and his, his coaching style? You know, bringing in Zlatan, he is a dynamic player that you get the ball to him and he's able to create things. I don't think that Chiellini and Zlatan are on the same level of notoriety to where you can drag out a moment of bringing a player like Chiellini. You know, it's not the same. You know, Zlatan is is a, a character. You know, Chiellini is, he was very stoic. His whole career, he's been very stoic, very professional, you know, a leader on the field. I don't see him being brought out as a sideshow or a, a spectacle if he plays it's because Steve Turundolo feels that he needs him to contribute it's not this is not like a showcase of like hey let me show you what our team is all about and what we have to offer you it's going to be hey if he's playing it's because we need his services in one area or another yeah I, I would just say you know like it's a little different than a player coming over from England right if a player comes over from Liverpool or Manchester you know, that's basically on the same latitude as Alaska, right? Where he's coming in Italy. I mean, the northernmost part of Italy would be on par with Portland. And the southernmost part of Italy would, would be in line with San Francisco. So I don't think the climate is going to be too big of a difference for him, whereas it might be for a player coming over from a German side or coming over from an English side or something along those lines. So I, I think he's going to be a little more acclimated to the weather. Plus, again, like you mentioned, he's got a month to be out there at the training center in Alhambra and, and, and getting his, his fitness ready for it. I'm excited. I do think you probably let him watch the first half and let him come in the second half and spell wherever they need to spell that way you know he gets a chance to observe the game and figure out exactly where he needs to step in but I definitely want him out there on the pitch at Bank of California Stadium versus the Galaxy in his first match I think that's a perfect time to debut uh, any final thoughts on the finalization of the acquisition before we move on amigo uh you know it's just uh more signings coming one DP guaranteed for sure I guarantee there's guarantees 
that there is going to be a DP signing this summer. And depending on what happens with Brian, you know, there was a, a rumor about Brian Rodriguez going to Monterrey, Carlos Vela with his contract that hasn't been signed. We potentially could have two DP players coming. And I'm sure that LAFC and the front office are hedging their bets and reaching out to multiple people that would be able to fill designated player roles. And if you have, you know, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, and this is my third choice, and then you end up having two DP spots, what's the likelihood that you get both of your your choice one and your choice two coming in? So who knows? For all we know, Carlos could not re-sign his thing. Rodriguez could get sold to Monterrey or some other team. And then we've got three DP spots, and we see three brand-new DPs coming in this summer. That would be kind of crazy. Possible. Little, Very possible. Little, Maybe a little too drastic of a change. But I'm just saying, it could happen. We're in first place. I mean, if we go on a skid and and you know need some time for some new players to, to get it going... You know, we've seen teams that are at the bottom of the table put it together midsummer and go on a run and win a cup. Uh, all this team has to do is qualify for the playoffs and be firing on all cylinders come the fall. Uh, the summer performance at this point is really just preparation for that tournament at the end of the season. Uh, unless unless you demand a supporter shield, in which case then then the results matter. But supporter shields rarely determine who wins a cup, Yeah, if almost never. So, uh, you know, I, I'm... If, if it takes a month or two in the summer of some poor results to get some people ready for that run at the end, I'm okay with it. I'm with you. I'm not entirely sure Carlos Vela is coming back at this point. And even if he does come back, I'm not entirely sure he's worthy of a DP roster slot. Now, I don't know if the allocation money exists to, to buy whatever contract he would want down or, or whether the club views him as the asset he was a few years ago, given his run of form and his injury woes. And Raito... Look, he's a player that if you get a good offer on him, you got to take it at this point. Um, he is not really proven to be the stalwart offensive piece that we need him to be. And if you get good money on the sale and, and they have somebody lined up to bring him in, in JT, we trust. I, I'm 100% convinced this team has a DP ready to go. Pretty sure that that person is already in the bag. And I do I have any idea who it is? No, I have no clue who this person's going to be. But from what I'm hearing, I'm pretty confident that they already have the person selected and it's all worked out. It's just a matter of time and paperwork until that happens. But I think we're going to go ahead and move on to other news and notes at this point in time. Pride Month has officially kicked off and LAFC and the 3252 got to participate in the Pride Parade. I unfortunately had to work that day and could not go down there in March with everyone, but all the photos coming out of it. Just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful to see the way this community supports one another and to see Pride Republic out there at the forefront with so many of our 3252 and greater LAFC brethren marching alongside them was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. Uh, I'm really excited for Pride Night coming up. Not as crazy about my Pride kit now that I've gotten it and had a chance to look at it a little bit, but uh, I am excited that we are going to have a really fun Pride Night. I hear that the folks from Pride Republic are going to be doing a post-game tailgate for the first time in the history of LAFC out there on Christmas Tree Lane. So hopefully everyone can come out early and support them before the game. But if not, at least swing by after the game. Should be the first time we'll ever have had an after party at Christmas Tree Lane, which is pretty cool to think of. Along the lines of the LGBT community, we would like to officially welcome a new member of the LAFC pod fam. That's right, folks. LGBTFC officially out there 
repping Pride Republic and the LGBTQ plus community here in Los Angeles within the greater black and gold community, hosted by friend and former guest of the show, LAFC Luke, along with Zaytuna from Pride Republic. Check them out on all your podcast platforms, LGBTFC, but our sincerest, sincerest welcome to the pod fam. With that, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for our news and notes segment of the show. Folks, we have the legend, Jordan Harvey, who is going to be joining us in just a moment. We will be speaking with him right on the other side of this break. Catch you soon. Yo, this is Shavo from System of a Down, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Folks, joining us now is LAFC legend. You know him as the ninth overall pick from the 2006 MLS draft. He is a black and gold original 11, number two on the pitch, number one in our hearts. Finally, joining us on Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, it's Jordan Harvey. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for it's coming about on. Time. I've spoken to kind of each of you, I feel like, individually. And so it's about time we get on here and, and make it a collective effort and get going on some LAFC topics. This is a get we have been trying to land on this show for legit five years now. We are so stoked to finally have you on the show with us. Thank you so much for coming. Really, really appreciate it. Why don't we go ahead and dive right into it? So typically when we have a guest on the show, our first question is, when did the beautiful game enter your life? Do you remember that first moment in which you fell in love with the game of football? Yes. I remember playing with my best buddies from kindergarten. It wasn't that moment, but from kindergarten, my buddy Todd Greco, Sean Moothart on the same team, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We must have been seven or eight. Turtle power. And, you know, the whole thing, orange slices at halftime. I think I had miter boots at the time, but... I was the kid where in the scrum, the ball would pop out. And I always was trying to strategic and being outside of that little bubble. And it was from those moments of just really enjoying just being out there with my best buddies and scoring some goals and, you know, just being on the grass, the pitch, all of it. I love the cleats, the shin guards. I love the whole thing. I love sports in general. And so it was kind of from those moments that I grew to absolutely love and have a passion for soccer six and seven honestly so do you still keep in contact with any of those those guys that you played with they're my best friends man they're that's still so from dope. kindergarten one of them lives in italy actually right now is <laughs> most random he owns uh like an olive oil like farm and the other one's just south of where we are in uh laguna niguel so we're we're constantly in contact yeah it's, so it's awesome. I mean, from those moments, that was, it was soccer and baseball with those two particularly. But as I grew up, now that I'm retired, I'm starting to get back in contact with a lot of guys from the Irvine Strikers where I grew up playing just south. And that's been a lot of fun as well, getting uh, back in contact with all these guys. Because when you're playing, honestly, you have so many teammates and, uh, you know, that locker rooms change constantly. You change locker rooms and so everybody kind of comes and goes, but there's a lot of players that I still stay in contact with. But those friends in particular that I was talking about earlier and the guys that I grew up playing with, like they are uh, their blood for sure. So speaking of, you know, growing up in the Orange County, Jonathan, our co-host was a, you know, and he's been telling us this for a while, right? He's like, man, me and Jordan, like we grew up together and we, you know, went to rival high schools and we're the same age and 
it's definitely one of those things that adds a little layer of uniqueness, especially for someone when you're a fan of a club and there's a player who you identify with on a very personal level. So, you know, tell us what it was like for you growing up playing against Jonathan's high school as your rivals and uh, then progressing on to playing at UCLA. Man, and that's the truth. Like, I'll come in contact, especially since I came back from like Vancouver, the six, seven years I was there, coming back to, to LAFC. It was like that. It was like coming back in contact with a lot of guys that I grew up playing with, whether it be early youth club soccer to high school at Capistrano Valley. I went on a little two year hiatus with the under 17 youth national team in Bradenton. California. So I lived there for two years, came back for my senior year, really enjoyed that coming back from my senior year and then going out to UCLA. But like Mission Viejo and John could probably attest to like the area of Southern California, like soccer was huge. Every Everything was soccer, obviously baseball, but those were like my two passions growing up. And so my dad knew nothing about the game of soccer knew nothing. He loved baseball. I love baseball as well, but a credit to him is like, he didn't force me down one avenue. He allowed me to pick what I had a passion for, what I grew to love. Soccer had way more opportunities given, you know, it's, it's still common, but like people kind of gravitate sort of towards the other sports. And so soccer, the path that I had going into the national team for those two years in high school. And then obviously in education and going to UCLA was like invaluable. So we went that route, but like Orange County is crazy and it's a little bubble, but like I grew up playing with guys like Chad Marshall coming down from Riverside, this guy, Roy Shingarian, who's now running Irvine strikers, Tyson wall. I grew up playing with who's now the Austin FC, like Academy GM. Then you have guys like, Sasha Kleschen, Gordon Kleschen, his older brother who I grew up playing with from like Huntington Beach. So like there's this uh, Mike Mike Munoz, like all these guys that I used to grow up playing with. He's now with with Galaxy. So like it's weird to have gone through Major League Soccer for 16 years. Now kind of ending that chapter, starting something fresh, working now with academies more, which is something I really enjoy doing. And now seeing like all these people have now fill these roles and it's uh really cool to connect with them again well I, I do think i owe you an apology i have heard on previous podcasts you complaining about people that used to do donuts and leave cigarette butts all over your fields in high school and i'm not exactly sure what the statute of limitations is on that for me to admit too much culpability here but i'm just going to come right out and apologize to you and say that that may or may not have probably been me at some point in time so i owe you an apology amigo you know what, man? You don't owe me an apology. We both probably owe other people an apology because I, I may have been right there with you. There's some buddies. I was a freshman on the varsity team. And so I just tagged along with all these seniors. And yes, I was a part of some of that stuff, unfortunately. Going from high school, you said you chose football, soccer because there was opportunities that led to going to UCLA. And you mentioned that, right? So what was that opportunity like? How did they recruit you? Because you went to the U.S. national team camp from high school, from club days? When did they start contacting and how did they approach you? Those letters started coming in pretty hot and heavy pretty early in the high school days. Going to residency with the under-17 national team and having success with that team, it was a choice. It was either stay another year in Bradenton, finish out your kind of high school career, or come home. I had missed home. 
I was so homesick. And I think that's a longer, you know, kind of story and kind of the mental game of taking a 15 year old and, and moving them across the country for two years. Absolutely. They had like other effects on you, but like coming back home my senior year and having been gone for those two years, as I mentioned, I wanted to be close to home. So my decision was, all right, I'm going to visit schools all on the West Coast. In hindsight, that probably wasn't the best idea, but I was homesick. So I was like, I want to stay on the West Coast. I want to be closer to family, closer to friends. So I visited Berkeley, Portland, UW, UCLA, Santa Clara was huge at that time. I visited them and then had little conversations with Stanford because I had already visited schools. So like I wanted to be all West Coast. There was actually Todd Saldana at the time. It then converted into Tom Fitzgerald, who passed away actually two years after. But we won a national championship that freshman year. It was a great squad. I was, and I will totally admit to this, immature. I was 17, 18 year old, trying to decide on what school I wanted to go to. When I went to UCLA, I was in a part of the under 20s. I didn't grow up. And this is where some of these young guys who are now with LAFC and the first team, I give them all the credit in the world to, for being mature and being able to take this step. I wasn't ready to take that step. A lot of players on my under 20 national team made the step to the professional level. I needed the four years to grow mature. It was huge for me. I sat on the bench a majority of my freshman year. I had to really grind out playing time, sophomore, junior year, like all of it I needed to grow and develop and go through adversity to then be able to go to that professional level and be like, okay, it's not going to be easy. That was the path. It was difficult, but it was definitely something I needed. So throughout your time at UCLA, you get involved in 69 games. You got seven goals, nine assists, and that leads you all into the MLS draft. You end up getting selected ninth overall. It's actually the first of two times in your career you end up getting drafted as you were later drafted once again in an expansion draft. But take us through that first round selection and becoming a pro for the first time and how that felt. It was amazing. I will say that whole process I wasn't prepared for. My senior year I had a pretty good senior year. Then you get chosen to go into a combine. At that time, didn't have a lot of guidance into how to be ready, how to prepare. Went into it unprepared. The combine didn't probably show as well as I would have liked. And then had probably unrealistic expectations of being drafted, you know, first four rounds or whatever. Didn't get picked on that first day. Devastated, dude. At home, remember crying, just really upset that I didn't get chosen. Um, but I had a coach, Paul Bravo who had done some help, work for me and said, hey, listen, Colorado's interested in you. It could come to fruition the second day. I kind of hung my hat on that. Second day rolled around. Sure enough, was chosen by them. And at that point, like I said, I had expectations, kind of thought I'd be chosen amongst a lot of my peers that I mentioned earlier. Wasn't and then went into the Colorado roster that preseason with just I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to make this roster. Those years were different. Those years were you make the roster. I was on a team with Jovan Karaski, Clinton Mathis. Uh, those were the U.S. vets, but like Eric Denton, Aitor Karanka actually came later. I don't know if you know who that is from Real Madrid, but like this team was full of veterans. Obviously, Pablo Mascheroni, Mike Pecky, 
like I just tried to soak it up. I remember anything and everything I could be around. Clint Mathis asked us to like move him from one house to another. I was like, I'm in, let's go. I like just wanted to be around these guys because they like were a wealth of knowledge. And that's what we tried to do. We had a lot of young players on that team. Colin Clark, who unfortunately passed away. Uh, Jake Peterson, who is now working with Kansas City. But like we had a young group that was great. And then a super old group. There wasn't much in between. But I just in those initial years, just tried to soak up anything and everything I could from those older guys. So when you look back at this draft, there was 12 people selected in the first round. Did you know that you're the only person in that draft to play after 2014? (laughs) No, I have no idea about that. I mean, I know that probably a lot of players who came before like at that time or maybe even after me I know just given statistically that you don't last that long in the league that I've probably had the longevity and 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 those things exist I never looked into them but it, it is nice to know and it's something that I hang my hat on that I tried to get better each and every year as a credit to the older guys that I had on my team and this is where some young guys you try to give them this advice is like be humble go in, try to learn from these older guys, try to be selfless, a team player. When your opportunity comes, just try to do as best as you can. And that's all you can ask for, but be a good locker room guy that the older guys will then respect and admire just because of your personality and and your persona. So like that, that's what I try to lay off on the younger guys but like that sort of stats of guys being drafted before me i don't know about this stuff the super draft's so different it's so yeah it's so strange like back then it was very important now it's kind of faded where people now don't even draft right it's almost it's almost unfortunate too that you look at how many talented football players are in the college system that you know because of the transition that it would take for them to come into the MLS through the through the MLS draft that it's almost like a something that a player might be discouraged to try and pursue playing in college because they don't want to uh, have any kind of limitation as their opportunities and they might look to try and find a way to play on a USL side or get into an academy um, at a younger age that's the path now right it's it's academy driven and that's what I'm working on a lot with, you know, obviously all like all the academy staff of Marco Garces, who has been amazing to have at this club, um, a wealth of knowledge and somebody I'm picking his brain constantly. But like, that's the path is if you want to take this path to the professional level, you join uh, an academy that gives you that pathway, whether it's through affiliates, then joining the academy, but going on through. If that's not your path, if you don't want to play professionally, there's obviously the college route, but that is, there's going to be players that fall through the cracks, go the college route, and are going to be amazing professionals. That's just without a doubt. It's so difficult at these younger ages to gauge where somebody will be at 20, 21. Like I said, I didn't grow up till I was like 19, 20. So like, how can you say that somebody at 17 is absolutely going to make it or somebody isn't that those are the tough decisions. And then, you know, going to colleges, it's not, listen, I, I love having an education, something to fall back on. It's huge to have now. It's not the wrong choice. If you choose to go to a college from there, you ended up going on loan for Sounders for a season in 2006. Anything notable from that experience? Yeah, I think 
it, ga- it got me games. It gave me games. Uh, you know, with LAFC now, you have Las Vegas, which is huge for guys to go and get games, whether you're young or older and need to get fit. That moment in my career, I was playing for the Reserve League, which was about 20 games a season. It was fun, but there were some teams that took it serious, some that didn't. So you'd have, you know, some teams that had a lot of good young players that you come in and have like a really good competitive game that could help you develop. Then there were some teams that would like bring in guys that, you know, had not been playing all year. And they're like, you know what, you guys played college soccer. Let's bring you in for a reserve game. So it was up and down like that. But going on loan to Seattle was awesome because it gave me some competitive games with a real group and gave me, Brian Smetcher was the coach at that time, gave me um, a lot of experience going up Pacific Northwest, which is my first time actually going there for a longer period of time. Like I said, I had visited colleges there. I was like, oh, it was raining, not for me. Going up there at that point, opened my eyes to something different and gave me playing time, got like my first goal. Brian Smetcher was like, hey, where do you wanna play? I was like, this is amazing. Left wing, let's go in the midfield. He, he gave me kind of free reign to do what I wanted in that moment. And it was a lot of fun. I went with Stephen Keel, who is now uh, producing a lot of content for MLS. So we went on two stints, probably three months apiece, got a bunch of games, and it was uh, super helpful in my development. So shortly following, you were a part of your first expansion team selected in the expansion draft. Uh, to join the Onions, Philadelphia Union for the 10-11 season. So what was getting drafted the second time? Like, obviously a little different because it means you were unprotected. And then take us through the process of being selected in an expansion supplemental draft. So when that protected list comes out, inevitably all the players look at it and go, okay, who do they think will be selected? Who probably, it was smart to protect them, all the things. So players look at that and they go, okay. And I could come up with any, any time there's an expansion draft, you go, oh man, this guy's likely to be chosen like easy, right? There's guys that are on lower salaries or high salaries that you're like, oh, I understand why they didn't protect that guy. He's not going to be picked up. I was on a low salary. I had played a number of games with Colorado. They didn't protect me. I go, okay. I talked to my agent. I'm like, dude, this is probably going to happen, right? He reached out to Philly. They were interested, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Gary Smith was actually the coach at the time. He had kind of broke the news that I wasn't protected. He understood that there was a lot of risk in it, but that was the decision. And so I found out and I remember the moment because it was it was very like ingrained in my head. It was, a, it was a major moment in my life in this transition from something I knew for three, four years, really loved Colorado to now I'm going to Philadelphia. Never been in the city ever. I was on a road trip. The season had ended going back to California with my mom. I road tripped with like friends, with my dad, with my brother. This trip, for whatever reason, I was with my mom. We were like stopped at a diner somewhere up in the mountains. And I got the call from Peter Novak that I was going to Philadelphia. They were going to pick me in the draft. And I was like excited, but super nervous, scared. Like, what does this mean? I I mean, it's, it's a new environment, new team. I don't know what it's all about. So it like shook me a bit. Novak, it, like I said, we were up in the mountains. So I had three words with them cut out, couldn't get a hold of him again uh, for like a day because 
we were up in the mountains. We we slept up there uh, for whatever reason. But like again, like things don't happen to you; they happen for you. And I feel like that was an experience that drove me to a different city outside my norm, but like gave me a fresh start with the team that played actually field of union. And that those moments, Peter Novak, we played John Hackworth was the assistant. We tried to play real football, which was my first real experience with that with Gary Smith. It was direct. It was, it was English style up the channels to Omar Cummings, Connor Casey with the ball in like Philadelphia tried to play and it was a really good experience. The sons of Ben were awesome. You know, it was really cool experience to go to Philadelphia for the two years. And I really enjoyed it. But again, like being picked in the expansion draft, like I've heard stories of players calling, like if Novak had called and maybe I was like, no, I don't want to go. I'm not going like players do that. And it happens, but more power to them if that's the actual case and it works out. But like now people are like using the expansion draft as a mechanism to now acquire players. It's so different. Like people are learning and all of these weird mechanisms that the league brings in, whether it be expansion draft or allocation or the TAM, like now these GMs, these, these technical directors are figuring out how to manipulate that and actually use them to their advantage. And so it's different now than it was before. After your two seasons with Philadelphia, you then spent the largest chunk of your career in Vancouver. You made 179 appearances, 10 goals. So you were there from 2011 to 2017. In 2015, you won the Canadian Cup. And in 2016, you were named the Vancouver Whitecaps Player of the Year. What was it like for you living in Canada for all of those number of years? And, you know, tell us about what that experience was like and and how you took those years of experience and all the previous years and helped bring those to LAFC. So again, it was the start of Philadelphia was an expansion team going to Vancouver in August of their expansion year. It was another really just start of, of their, you know, history in MLS. So and again, it was like a new start with, the, with a new group. We were in a different stadium that was kind of, uh, it's called empire. It was like, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was out on the outskirts of Vancouver. Awesome stadium, really intimate, really cool. But like it was uh, on the outskirts and all very makeshift. It's it's where we trained, had like portables for locker rooms. In between the portables was like a, a blow up whirlpool. I mean, this is back in like earlier MLS days uh, when all this stuff flew and like now it would never. But yeah, I mean, Vancouver as a city, amazing. As a club, constantly trying to get better and better. Though, like I said, those initial years were tough, very tough. Now they have an amazing training facility. But those first few years in Vancouver, I mean, you're training in parks, you're training on turf, you're training at the stadium on the turf. It's It was tough, man. That's a, that's a grind, not just mentally, but physically. But Vancouver as a whole and an experience was, again, just something... Um, I absolutely loved had my first daughter. My wife moved there. We had an awesome place that we really enjoyed and like had my daughter there. She's a dual citizen and just absolutely loved it. I have a lot of lasting friendships there. And I mean, Vancouver is definitely a place like we're playing them uh, later in the month. Like I'm going with my wife because we like love it and we want to see the old people. Like it's, it's a second home for sure. I'll bring back some of that sweet wine from up there. So hard to get here in California, that good BC wine. Okanagan Valley. Dude. Oh, it's killer stuff up there. 
killer stuff up there. It's just uh, really hard to get good Canadian wine in the United States right now, but we don't need to talk about the booze business. Let's go ahead and transition to the black and gold. So once again, in your career, what seems to be a theme of picking up and moving off somewhere and then returning home. So you first hear about LAFC happening and it's going to be a thing. Take us through the courtship and how you ended up landing the deal to come back home and rep SoCal once again. For a year leading up, so 2017, I knew my contract obviously was at an end. At the end of the year, I knew I had free agency, which is something we fought so hard to get. And so I knew I had some options. That year ended, obviously, with Vancouver Whitecaps. I was there so long. I think I touched on all the individual awards. You said in 2016, like player of the year, it was like that was – a terrible year as a whole, but good for me. But like other years, like all of it was good. But in 17, it ended and we knew that we wanted something different. I had had a meeting with uh, Carl Robinson and the staff and uh, it was kind of weird. You're like jostling, like, okay, like, do you want me back? Do I want to come back? It was like an interesting conversation. We left it kind of in neutral And I, you know, deep down was always like, dude, LAFC going home, like that would just be amazing. Like I said, the year leading up, my wife and I had this kind of inside, we were like, do not mention LAFC. We don't want to jinx it. We don't want to throw it out there, be disappointed, set expectations. We're like, if it happens, amazing. If it doesn't, that's fine too. Whatever Everywhere we've gone or everywhere in my career I've gone, like, has been the right move. So let's just see how it happens. But we, like, don't mention it. Do not mention LAC. So that conversation started with John Thorrington, whom I played with in Vancouver. So he knew me well, knew my attributes, my work ethic, soccer, IQ, whatever. He knew me. And uh, so we started that conversation. It later, with obviously Bob having a, a lot of say in everything, it moved to me having conversations with Bob. So that was kind of the the sign off. I remember having a conversation with Bob. I was in Houston. It was the off season for my wife. Uh, her family's out there. And I was in the backyard just pacing, talking to Bob, just hoping it went well and everything was good to like for him to sign off on me coming. It did. And a lot of it was, hey, bringing in this young guy. We want to sign Joao Moutinho. We look for you to help him out, progress, develop. I was 30 three, I think at the time, 34. And that was the role. I was like, listen, I want to come back home to LA. This thing you're doing, it's, it looks amazing from the outside. I want to get more into it. Bob, as a coach, I wanted to learn from him. The environment I knew would be awesome. So I was like, let's do it. And it all worked out. I mean, that first year, as you know, came in about four games in, in Vancouver, which was ironic, um, came in and then never looked back, just enjoyed every bit of it. Some stats for you. I know you're interested in some stats. You had 74 regular season games, four playoff appearances, six U.S. Cup appearances, and one goal. So not bad for one goal. left back. More. And then the, the, the other thing to keep in mind is John Moutinho didn't see the field much, and he had to um, be traded ultimately. So I think, you, you know, you held your own, you made sure you made your keep and made it difficult for him. And then I think the club had to make a decision 
I think it was the right one at the right time uh, for us at that point. Oh, I was just going to say, I remember the one goal too. And I remember the celebration after, and they interviewed you after the goal, Jordan. And you're like, man, I don't get these very often. So I don't know how many more of them I'm going to have. So I had to make sure that it was a memorable celebration. Well, my wife was early in her pregnancy. And so it caught her off guard as well, because we hadn't really told anybody And so, you know, like with these, with pregnancies, it's like 12 weeks, you feel safe enough to now start telling friends, family, whatever. And I think we were at like nine, eight, something like that. And I was just like, dude, I got to do it now or else it's never going to happen. Cause it's, you know, this, it's like when a celebration, when you're having a kid, like that is the ultimate. Right. And so I had to do it. And so my wife was like, and she like, was like looking around cause she's sitting in the family section. And so she had a lot of questions to answer, but it was an awesome moment. That one goal, I definitely made the most of it, man. My daughter's goal was the first ever scored from an Harvey at LAFC. And that is the most memorable for sure. So just curious, did the parents find out before the celebration or was the celebration how the parents found out? No, my, my parents, they found, they found out immediately and her parents, like our immediate family had known we're an open book, man. Like, and that's something that I got from my wife is just being completely upfront, honest with everything. So like something like that, we can't hold in. And so we told everybody. And then honestly, look, tough things happen with pregnancies. And we were very ready to have that conversation if it didn't work out in our favor, because a lot of times that stuff doesn't. And so we wanted to be upfront with that as well. Let them know if, if that is something that we're going through, which gratefully we weren't. And uh, we weren't with our second as well. But like, we're just an open book. And that and that is something I totally give 100% credit to my wife. She's just kind of opened my eyes to just being just, you know, who you are. I remember that goal that you mentioned too, the one with your daughter, where she was, uh, it was at the end of a game, right? Or it, I forget if it was After the beginning of yeah, yeah, North it. Was, end. And it was on the North End, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like kicking the ball, dribbling, dribbling. And you hear the North End, like, like egging her on, cheering, cheering, and then she goes, it kicks in, and they go wild, man. Dude, I got uh, no joke. I just got goosebumps. I, I, it's like the most memorable moment of my career. I loved sharing moments with my family on the field. As you probably know, after every game, if we won, my family was out there. My daughter was out there, 100%. I'm like, dude, you're coming. We're going. We're doing the shalala. We're getting it in. And in that moment, I think our team administrator, Jeff, Uber had a ball and I was just like, oh, let's do this. I, I like, I think I'd seen it at like some EPL game. It was like Chelsea or something. Uh, John Terry, maybe I just could do it. And I was like, the fans are there. I was like, this is just impromptu, but I was like, go for it. And she, 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 I'm not gonna say she hates soccer, but she's not a soccer player. Like she wants to do ballet and gymnastics. And I was like, dude, just keep kicking it, keep kicking it. It took her a few, but she got in there and and again, like I'm so grateful to the 3252. They made the moment. My brother videotaped it, so I got it. You can hear him laughing in the background. I think I posted it. But um, yeah, that's a video that I just watch over and over. I remember being in the North End and cheering when the ball crossed the line. And what a special moment that is. And you know, from the fans' perspective, looking in at this LAFC locker room you see it be such a familial environment, especially on the pitch after the game, but it just seems like families are more involved with this franchise than we get to see from the outside looking in. And I'm curious from being inside that locker room, would you agree that there's something different about LAFC and the connection that the players' families have to this team? Yes. 
I think in the past, I've been on teams that would help the families out, whether it be a suite or different functions and stuff. And they did it, but it felt like maybe they were checking a box or, you know, hitting their quota of like, this is what other teams do. So I'm going to do this. With LAFC and, you know, Larry Friedman, John Thornton, it's more than that. It's with a purpose. It's with a passion. It's with uh, an idea that this is what it's all about. Family, the fans, like the culture, the environment. This is what LAFC and, and they live and breathe it. And that is what I loved is that it's genuine. It's authentic. People are doing this because they want to better the community. They want to better the atmosphere, the chemistry of the group. Like, it's about the people. It's not about checking a box. It's a, it, it goes above and beyond that. And I've been very uh, vocal about it. And, and now that I'm on this side, I tell, you know, John uh, a lot that like LAFC doesn't just check boxes. It's about a genuine love for the game, for the players, the fans, the, the culture that LAFC has now created and uh, come to love. In looking back, you mentioned your daughter scoring as your favorite goal, your favorite moment. Are there some favorite moments on the pitch for you? Is there a particular game, a moment that stands out in looking back at your LAFC career? And now that you've entered this stage of retirement, though still with the club, retired as a player. What do you think is the Jordan Harvey stamp as a player for LAFC? What is the Jordan Harvey legacy in black and gold? A particular moment, I'd have to go back and, and look over time. But to answer your question about a legacy, I don't think it's necessarily all black and gold it's it's over a career that I hope the fans recognize this I think they do I have left it all out there man like I came into this league with some talent a left foot but a very good work ethic and that is something that I owe to the game I owe to the supporters is to leave it out there everything I have and that is something that was embedded in me at the youth level it's it was always as well as you can work as hard as you can. And whatever the result is, you can live with it because you left it all out there. And that is what I lived by my whole career, knowing that I worked as hard as I possibly could, did enough homework, did enough video to then go out on the field. Obviously, there's nerves, but feel comfortable with my preparation. And I think LAFC in particular, under Bob Bradley, very detail oriented. And I loved picking up that knowledge. I loved in my later in my career, being able to implement all of the things and the identity, the game model that LAFC is and was. And when we were there, we did it so well. Like I, I just enjoyed being on a field. And these are the moments I remember is walking out onto a field, whether, you know, the different things that LAFC does, but being out there with a group that I was like, we are going to dominate this game. And that feeling 18, but obviously in 19 was like the best I ever felt going out into the field, the most confident knowing that, you know, <laughs> there's going to be games where somebody has an amazing goal that maybe we lose one zero, but man, for the most part, we're going to crush this team. And it didn't matter who was on the field or who we were playing against. We had a group that was amazing. And there's, 
there's still like, I talk to Stephen Bateshire all the time. And like, there's a group, there's like a lineup that he always mentions that never lost a game at LAFC. I think it's like a Dio, Carlos, Diego, maybe Mark Latif, Edward. And then the back line with Beta, I think it's maybe Walker, Eddie and myself never lost a game like in 19, like that, like that's the stuff when you talk about stats and beta always brings this stuff up to me, but like, that's the stuff where I'm like, dude, we had such a good squad, man. And something that I enjoyed not only coming to work every day and training, but like going out in the field, it just was like such a confidence that I loved. Each and that's, every that's the right stat. I think when Kay got hurt is when kind of things started. Galaxy with the yeah, ankle. Yeah. Yeah. I think things shifted a little bit. The, the balance in the midfield had to be modified. And I think you lost a little bit of that. But you had Lee Wynn step in. And at that time, and, and you see it now with the depth that we have, like, uh, you know, Tajuri Shroudy coming off the bench. And you'll see a lot more healthy guys coming in after this little break. But, like, that bench, like you have a Mark Anthony K starting, bringing in a Lee Wynn like the change of pace, like that was huge, you know, or starting him because Mark was out, but like that sort of dynamic and having the bench and the starting lineup, like it was awesome, man. I can't, I can't speak highly enough of those guys. And like, I enjoyed my time so much every day and especially in games going on the field with them. 19 is a epic year, I think for everyone on this podcast. Yeah, hopefully soon to be followed up by 2022. Speaking of which, in 2022, you know, you transitioned a little bit. You have a new role with the club. Uh, you've already talked a little bit about, um, you know, your your work with the academy players. Uh, we've seen you working with the media, doing the broadcast booth, showing up a little bit on 110 football. So talk to us about your your new role and how you're still contributing to the football community here in Los Angeles and with the black and gold. Yeah. Do you have a job title yet or is it too long to even just put on a bio? The list of things would be very long, but that the job title is like player development manager, I think is, is, I don't even know if it's out there, but that's what we kind of discussed with John Thornton, but it's a number of things. And, and that's the awesome part about the opportunity that now I've been given is that they've allowed me to branch out into a bunch of different areas and kind of find my passion. Cause as you know, a lot of guys know after retirement, it's difficult. You get pushed down kind of the coaching route, which makes sense, but then there's other parts of, of the club, especially soccer ops or even the business side that I really enjoy. And I've enjoyed, you know, a number of people. We talk about this family. It's like, it's not just the roster, the coaching staff, it's, it goes on the business side, the partnerships, the marketing, like all of these people I've been working with for four years now, and I really enjoy them. And so it's because of those relationships that I want to try different things. And so going into all the roles, it's anywhere from club ambassador, the commentating to a lot of the stuff with the Academy. So I've been grateful enough. And Steve Trundolo has allowed me to be on the first team and, and work in that coaching capacity with the club. But then also working in player development, which is setting up a program, doing evaluations on first team players and then carrying that through the season. And then I'm really excited about kind of the infrastructure of creating not only affiliates, but a scouting structure throughout Southern California that, I, like I said, I've 
been brought up through and would love to kind of create and, uh, you know, grab a hold of with both hands. And that's a credit to like Marco Garces and his creativity and, and uh, helping me through that side of things. So, and then along those lines, like I, I talked to Larry Freeman a lot and he's a huge mentor of mine. And I, I'm so grateful to have his friendship and that business side is something that I, I really enjoy doing as well. So it's just this year has kind of allowed me to try different things and now honing those in as the year progresses. Well, on the broadcasting side, you've been killing it. First-hand experience myself with the Fury, I can say that it is not as easy as it looks getting behind a microphone. It is far more challenging than I ever thought it would be drinking a beer and sitting on my couch. And so many of the little subtle nuances of the job that former players tend to struggle with, bro, you kill it. Absolutely kill it with that. So hats off to you. You've done a sensational job with the broadcasting side of things. Obviously, through your work with podcasts, we knew you had the charisma for it, but for it to translate to the television medium has been sensational. So hats off to you in that regard. I really appreciate that compliment. All the credit to my wife. She's done hosting and all this stuff. So she's helped me through some of the nuances that you speak of. And then that team, Max Bredos, Rogo, Sarah Takata, the producer, like they've really helped me through it as well. And, and it's tough, man. You're not lying. It's like you have the earpiece they're saying to rap when you're mid-sentence and you're trying to formulate a thought and it's little sound bites. And then it's topics that are thrown to you that maybe are something you didn't expect. And then you have to like regurgitate. Like it's tough, man. But with that said, like, like I've done enough now while I was playing that I've, I've now come to like really enjoy it. The pre halftime and post stuff. I really enjoy the commentating color, man, that stuff is tough. I've done it once now. I've got about six more to go, but that stuff just takes reps and I'm excited to get more of those, especially with Max, but that stuff, man, you're not lying. It's tough. It's really tough. More reps, the better, but I, I think in this last game, I did the first half totally in my head going, oh, what did you just say? Did I really just say that? I'd love to take things back. And then the second half, I just said, you know what, like you need to stop that. And so I felt better about the second half. And now moving forward, I think that's the approach to take. But thank you for that compliment. I really appreciate it. Confidence goes a long way. In, In some of the many roles you're currently playing for this team, Rumor has it, maybe you can confirm this for us, that uh, on the training pitch, you're occasionally still stepping in at right back to fill a void is the word on the street. Can you confirm or deny, sir? Oh, I I can absolutely confirm. And it's like torture, right? Because you get out there and uh, whether it's left back, right back, wherever, and say it's unfortunately sometimes somebody goes down or they need some numbers and they say, you know, Steve will say just before we go out, hey, you cool to jump in? And I'm like, yeah, dude, like, are you kidding me? And so grab the boots, jump out there and you dabble and you're like, man, this is, you know, you, you play for 16 years, you train, inevitably there are moments you take it for granted. That's just human nature. And now in this position that I'm in, you get thrown out there and I just play with a smile on my face Every once in a while, it doesn't happen as often as you may think, but like every once in a while, I'll get thrown out there and I just enjoy it. The thing now that I've come down to is like the staff games. So we have like a really good staff. 
You know, you have Ante Razov, Steve Gerundolo, John Thorrington. It's a really good group. Oka, the goalie coach, is awesome. And so we play these staff games. Academy staff joins in. And this is the stuff that, like, now is not competitive for me. I'm just going out to have a good time. And I'm laughing and enjoying it. And it takes me back to just, like, Sunday league stuff that you just go out and enjoy but it gets competitive and we had one today and man it was uh it was a dog fight and uh, we pulled we pulled it out though we pulled it out who did you make i think it was i i got a it was like five four and got a goal and a couple assists so i'm still i'm still plugging away man <laughs> meg did you meg anybody no no need no to no megan i played simple man stay in your box i got it i know i know my i know my role i know my role the first season i bought my son who is now seven i bought him a jersey and um you know he was born on february 12th and so i got him a number two and by far you so whenever you would see you out on the field right with your number two like he and he had his jersey with the number two on and you were his favorite player because you guys shared the same jersey number and then you know, now he's playing and he plays a little bit of the wing back position too. And so I'm just like, look, dude, you know, just uh, play simple. And that's why I try and tell him too. And like, I try and show him older footage from LAFC, like just, just the game where it's like, if you really try and focus on it and slow it down, it, it could be simple. It doesn't have to be all fancy footwork and, and all that extra stuff, you know, but uh, it's just, it's fun, man. Like that's, that's cool that you say that. Cause like I said, that's the same thing I've tried to tell him too. It's it's a beautiful game, man. And and that was and I mentioned it earlier, like what I enjoyed about coming to LAFC. It's this game model that I never had a real identity with other clubs that I've been with, where each phase of the game, there's something that, you know, you should be or different phases like it was very detail oriented. And I just enjoyed that part of it and kind of diving in and really implementing the ideas that were fed to us. And, and it's one, two touch, play simple, play between the lines. And it's amazing as a left fullback and beta sure was the right fullback. We're like, play to Diego Rossi, play to Carlos Vela. Like who is better in this area? Am I going to dribble into the final third or should I just play this guy who is one of the most dangerous attackers in the league? Like this is where the selflessness comes in. Like play simple, play to your strengths, play to the team strengths. That is where I think, that 18 and 19 team like it was such a good combination because guys were very selfless at the same time Diego Rossi tracking back Carlos Vela he made the right decisions at the right time if he was going to shoot it was because it was on if he was going to pass it was because that guy was on like I totally feel like a selfless model and guys working together and for each other goes so much further than just pure talent you have a unique perspective on this current roster still being involved with the team as heavily you are. And, and of course, having played with this team for the past few seasons, as your career transitions, so has this team transitioned as well. We have a brand new coach in, in Dolo who's taken over. And what do you think from a player perspective are the biggest changes that are happening in the day-to-day -day fundamentals or the difference in coaching styles between Bob and Chirondolo? Well, it's, and I've equated it to the 2018 season. There's a lot of new players coming in. So there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of education in, in terms of learning a new system and a, and, a, and a model that maybe they had seen from the outside because LAFC, obviously, in their short history, made a huge impact. But players coming in, now they have to learn that. And so I think this year, 
that curve is now, it's a learning curve and guys are still now getting better and better within the system. Guys are working together. It's only getting better. Now your question was between Bob and Steve. I think it's a different style of coaching. It's a different personality, obviously, but I've said this a number of times. It's hard to compare in 18 fresh. You needed somebody to come in, establish something, be very detail oriented to then carry that through. Now with a lot of players that have now been carried over that are still here or have been here through those first few years. Now it's about bringing other guys in and then gelling that. And I think Steve is a perfect person and has the personality, very personable to then bring these guys together and is super knowledgeable. I mean, he's somebody who understands when to be detail oriented and when to let some things slide given say the creativity of Brian Rodriguez. It's not always going to be on the tactical board. He's going to do things that are special and different and allowing him to do that is important. And that will help on the back end, like defensively being in the right position and willing to like do this work. And that's where it's different. I think you've said a lot without saying a lot. And I mean that in a, in a way where I think players that are young, like Brian need structure with some freedom. Right. And I think maybe it was different before. And I think, and also I think you bring in a good point in terms of being able to gel to different kind of sets of players, players that have been here tail end of Bob's uh, tenure and then uh, the establishment of a new coach and him trying to bring his personality, his style, but not the way we play necessarily, but the way we kind of approach and get together to, to be, be able to build on what was done the last five years. Right. So it's, it's different. It's a different job that, that Steve has compared to Bob. And, and different needs that were at the end of the year, last year, going into this year, like it needed something different. And I think obviously it was mutual, Bob going to Toronto, now Steve coming in and, and this kind of approach has been really helpful. And I mentioned Brian, but it's been helpful for a number of guys. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just different. It's hard to compare given, dude, I had my, I loved playing for Bob in the 18, like all those years. I loved it. I loved having that identity, as I said, and that's a huge credit to Bob and the staff. And now it was needed. There was a needed change and the right guy, I feel like has come in to help guide these guys. I think that the interesting part for me as a supporter, as a fan has been, even though it, it hasn't been as fluid as 18 or 19, like the results and the performance has been there from a results perspective and, and that's interesting that's, right yeah, like yeah. there's a lot of one zeros a lot of set pieces it's not the same as 18 19 but you said it the results and in all honesty there's an argument that this is more like the results that we've gotten could be more geared towards like say the mls playoffs yeah the tournament like, style when you go into that what are the teams that do well it's a lot of set piece goals one zero wins grinding it out and this team has shown they can do that. What do you attribute some of the roster right back issues at this point? It seems like there's been a lot of injuries. Is there anything you can touch on there? In the fullback position in particular, you know, going into the season, I was also very vocal about Franco Escobar being like my favorite player. I love this guy. He's a warrior. And he's somebody who has now been injured a couple times coming back. But he's somebody who doesn't have like this off button. And I think that's part of it. You need to like hold this guy back because 
he works so hard and he wants to get back so bad. He has such a passion to get back on the field. And so he needs to like almost be held back because, you know, you go hard too quick and you can get a setback. And now you have Hollingshead, who's been great at left back, right back when Cheeky was out. And so I think we have three amazing fullbacks. Grant Hollingshead can play either either side. The difficult part now is, is that enough? Is that enough to take us through the whole season? You saw Sebastian Ibiaga play right back. I thought he did actually pretty well. I'm going to be honest. He did pretty well. I, I, I And I, I think he's an intelligent guy. He can defend 1v1 really well. So I think he did all right. You know, Kellen playing there, that's out of necessity. But we got through the first part of the season with these three fullbacks. We're in first place. I think these guys were very influential. Obviously, Franco not playing as many games, but cheeky, amazing. Holling said, like, amazing. You can't doubt it. Franco coming back now from injury. We have a little break. All these guys will be back. Now you go, okay, let's let's move forward into it. And it's going to be about managing them so that they stay healthy at the remainder of the season and into the playoffs. But these guys, these are three fullbacks that I honestly believe are, are some of the best in the league. They can start on any team. Any point in time throughout the course of the last month where you thought, hey, I'm, I might need to put these cleats back on for real? <laughs> I, I, I joked about it uh, with Thorrington. I said, hey, man, you give me two weeks, I'm ready to go. I don't think they'll be taking me up on that. But no, I uh, I definitely uh, hinted at it. And uh, it was it was a good one to laugh at, I guess. Jordan, you have been very, very generous with your time tonight. We thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we send you home, we do have one final question for you. It is a question we ask every single guest that comes on this show. It is a mantra of the team. It is the name of the show. And it is a phrase that somehow is interpreted differently by everyone who comes on and speaks with us. So we're curious, Mr. Jordan Harvey, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir? Oh, I could go on for days with this answer. Shoulder to shoulder means equality. It means together, togetherness, not just with players, but with the fans, with the, the whole organization, with the whole LAFC community, side by side, working together, not just for the love of the game, but like just for the love of LAFC, the city, the, the, the culture that we've all been a huge part in creating. But shoulder to shoulder, man, it's something that I really loved coming into LAC. We talked about kind of the things that brought you here. But that sort of mantra is something that everybody should really think about and live by just because as a parent, as a now retired athlete, like that sort of togetherness is what you need to carry you through tough times. Once again, we appreciate you coming on, coming to us live from inside a birdcage in Long Beach, California. We sincerely appreciate you joining us. Once again, folks, our guest has been the Jordan Harvey LAFC legend. We sincerely appreciate you coming on, sir. Thank you for having me. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And and five years, man, that sounds like a hard get. I'm, I thought I was pretty easy. You asked me like a week ago. What are we talking about? Well, we we attempted to go through normal channels to get you for the first four years, but apparently it took just walking up to you and asking for your cell phone number, which, which so uh, never worked for me in a bar, but apparently worked with you. So there's a first for everything, I guess. So, so easy. My wife would say the same.
<laughs> well, thank you once again, sir. Folks, we will be right back after this short break with the last segment of today's show. What's up, y'all? It's Sholo Mariduena, Miguel Diaz from Cobra Kai, and uh, you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Folks, joining us as our opponent correspondent this week, representing the Seattle Sounders, is going to be Jackson Feltz. You can follow him at Jackson B. Feltz. He comes to us as the host of Sounders Weekly on 93.3 FM KJR Seattle Sports Radio. He is also a contributor to the Sounders pre- and post-game show. Jackson, welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Good to be here. Long time coming, man. Yeah, please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started in sports media, and what made you start covering Seattle. Yeah, I uh, well, first off, in terms of Seattle, I am born and raised Seattleite. Grew up uh, just on a suburb of the city. Uh, went to college yeah, right in basically downtown Seattle. Um, and uh, I just recently moved just south of the city. Uh, but that's why I have always loved uh, Seattle and loved the Seattle Sounders. Um, Seattle Sounders FC now. And uh, in terms of the media angle of that, uh, I got into the business as an intern with KJR back in 2012. And since then, it's just kind of been moving up and doing different things. I, I And now here I am. I, I uh, As you mentioned, I host uh, our pregame, halftime, and postgame shows for Sounders broadcasts on KJR. I also host Sounders Weekly, uh, which normally is every Tuesday night on 93.3 KJR FM uh, from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, this week will be a special Thursday show because we'll be reacting to the World Cup announcement and where that will be going. Um, and then in addition to that, I also produce uh, KJR's uh, show from 3 to 7 p.m. So a lot of different hats and uh, a lot of fun. So for our fans that might be interested in catching that, is it on iHeartRadio, streamed on the internet? Is it repodcasted? Where could people find you? That's exactly right. Yeah, live uh, live this Thursday and then live normally Tuesdays at 7. We'll be on the iHeartRadio radio app just search sounders weekly um if you happen to be in seattle ever before a sounders lafc match uh 93.3 kjr fm uh will be the radio station uh and then in terms of podcasts we put all of our podcasts up on the iHeartRadio app just search sounders weekly and i think it gets spread out to a bunch of different other places that you can find podcasts as well but sounders weekly put it in google and it'll pop up so obviously got to give you guys huge congratulations for winning the conca champions league it was an amazing accomplishment the match definitely was an exciting one to watch and being able to have the last leg of that finals at your home turf, which is a, a huge advantage, I think, to Seattle. It played in your favor and you guys played well. And so, you know, huge congratulations to that. How are you guys feeling after that victory and what has the fan base been saying? I think that we're still on a little bit of a high from that. Um, and and it, it's warranted considering it's the biggest trophy in league history. Um, and I won't even argue that because I think it's obvious. Um, <laughs> and, you know, based on that, you know, still a couple months off of that, um, or I guess just a month and a half off of that now, you know, there is still, I wouldn't say it's a hangover at all, but we're still reveling in, in the celebration of it. And we're still, you know, acknowledging and, and, you know, re you know, thinking back to how great it was. And yeah, there's been all these matches since and the club's in really good form right now. I know we'll get into that. Um, there was a slight hangover that we saw um, from the team itself. And then, and listen, people with the club, they've admitted that there was a little bit of a hangover coming off of that. And that's understandable. It's not often that you win a championship and then you have to jump right back into, you know, competition, like three, 
I think three days later they had a game in Dallas. Um, so it was very weird. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think fans are, yes, we have an eye on Vancouver on Tuesday and on LAFC on, on Saturday, but there is still the eye on what happened a little over a month ago. There is still an eye on how we celebrated and, and how great it is and what it means. I mean, we're looking ahead to this Portland match coming up for this club coming up in about a month. And at the Portland match at Lumen Field, a banner will be unveiled saying CONCACAF Champions League winners, right? And, and we're, so we're looking ahead to that. And, you know, there was a, I, I was seeing posts today about there's still being CONCACAF Champions League scarves on the shelves at the pro shop at Lumen Field that fans can buy tomorrow. So there is still there, there, it is still, you know, two eyes in two different directions, but we're trying to, you know, focus as best we can. I know they're, fo- you know, certainly focused uh, on a big two match week. Well, with the smell of champagne still fresh in everyone's jersey, let's get back to the season at hand. Although I really hope I have to say you guys execute a championship banner much better than NYCFC did. But I have a feeling (laughs) I have a feeling y'all are going to learn from that mistake. But in speaking of the current run of form for Seattle, you're currently sitting in 11th place in the West. Five wins, a tie and six losses, 16 points, but only 12 matches played. You're two points out of that seventh seed playoff spot. And you do have those two games in hand versus everyone in that seventh to 10th place. So since winning Champions League, again, congratulations, three wins, two losses. How are you feeling about the team's run of form? And are you concerned about their current place in the table? Zero concern whatsoever. Absolutely not. And and the overall record since Champions League, it's a fair, it's a fair record to look at over the overall picture. I will simply look at the picture of the last four games, three wins in the last four. And that's a clip of if you're bringing in nine points in every four games, I mean, that's you're going to be uh, you're going to be probably at the top of the Western Conference at the end of the day, if not you know near the top of the Western Conference. So feeling very very good about that. Um, and you know in terms of the actual on the field quality, yeah, I think we would love to see a little bit better. It took till you know. The, it took till late in the match against Charlotte FC to go and equalize and then a couple minutes later to get that win. Um, we saw against Houston, that was you know a, a nervy one nothing victory. We saw against Minnesota, that win took a lot of time, a, a lot like Charlotte. It took time to develop that win and all the way you know deep into the second half. So these matches, we would like to see, I think, a little bit higher quality in the first half. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we aren't, you know, if the Sounders are sitting in second, third, whatever place at the end of the season, we're not going to look back to a game in May against Charlotte and say, oh, but, you know, it, it took till the second half to get those two goals and get the win. We're not going to be talking about that. We're gonna be talking about that was three points when the Sounders needed three points and it allowed them to shoot into this international break and into this next part of the season on a high note. Because if they had lost that game, one nothing is a completely different narrative over these last two weeks. But because they won that, because we can say three wins in the last four, it feels completely different. The energy is there. Um, um, and it feels like this team is ready to kind of do what we've seen them do in, in the past and take off towards a big second half. Speaking about some of the long haul for the second half, you had a player acquisition in the offseason that has been instrumental. Can you talk a little bit about acquiring midfielder Albert Rusnak from RSL and, and what he brings to your side? He's been massive. He's been massive in ways that we had no idea he was going to be. When Albert Rusnak was brought in, we looked at him as the guy at RSL who was the captain, who was, you know, whether it was in the middle as the number 10 orchestrating and assisting. We saw, you know, from the, the uh, what was it, 40 goals, 
40 assists roughly. I don't have those numbers exactly right. Uh, last year was something like, you know, 10 and 10 or something like that. Um, the numbers escape me. But regardless, this is a guy who can score. He can assist. He can do so many different things, whether he's in that number 10 spot, whether he's out on the right wing. And we were so excited that Nicholas Ladero, who had been hurt so much last year, would now have a partner to be, you know, right with there within the midfield, you know, no matter what the system was going to be, if Brian Schmetzer was going to keep with his three at the back system, or if he was going to go back to the the four, two, three, one that he used so uh, heavily since 2016 in taking over, we didn't know where Rusnak was going to fit with that. <laughs> and it turns out it's neither of the spots that we thought he, that he was going to fit because yes, Brian Spencer has gone back to the four, two, three, one and where we thought Rusnak was going to be, you know, right there on the right wing of Nico and then potentially sliding inside to that number 10 spot when Nico has to take a break because okay, with injuries, Nico is going to have to take, take games off, but it hasn't been any of that. What Rusnak's done and they figured this out a couple weeks into the season is Let's drop Albert Rusnak back to the holding spot, put him next to what was Joao Paulo, which is now Obed Vargas, and have him kind of be the guy that can distribute from the back end to the front end. been incredible at doing that. He is not getting too far off the field in attack. He's not you know, dishing out the assists. He's not dishing the goals like he normally does. Uh, but what he is doing is he's allowing the Sounders much better possession. He's allowing the Sounders to build much better attacks. We've seen goals this season that have had, I think, 22 pass buildup. And a lot of that's because of what Albert Rusnak does there in the holding midfield, changing the way that this team functions in the midfield. And it also allows Nicholas Ladero to run less. He doesn't have to track back deep as much. He can stay up next to you know Jordan and next to Raul. And because Nico can stay up the field, Albert then has a bunch of space to play with. Um, and, and he has allowed this team. And when they're leading, when they're leading, it's it's you, you saw in the Champions League final, it's next to impossible for other teams to score because Albert just if, if the Sounders get a leg on the ball and Albert, you know, just get the ball to Albert Rusnak. And once you get the ball to Albert Rusnak, his calm and his control on the ball and his ability to take it exactly where it needs to go to calm things down and put the Sounders back in possession, back in control, slow matches down. It is, um, it's incredible to watch. Uh, he's been a massive addition. Well, you've segued our next question perfectly. And that is of course the injury to midfielder Joao Paulo. So Obviously, Seattle's a team that have been defensive stalwarts throughout the course of this legendary run of the last decade or so. When he went down to injury, I think a lot of teams throughout the West were licking their chops at potentially being able to break down that defensive midfield block that has been so effective. With him out, how has the team gone about replacing him and what impact has that had on the roster? It's been a very simple replacement. It's Obed Vargas, who's a 16-year-old, I'll say that again, 16-year-old from Anchorage, Alaska. Very few, you know, very, very few players, like actually a few, like actually, like I think only like three players have ever come to Major League Soccer from Alaska. And this kid's one of them. And he is ridiculously talented. Um, I don't want to make the kid's head too big, but I don't think he's listening to this. So I'll just say, I think Obed Vargas will be a uh, U.S. men's national team player. I think he will be a player that the Sounders could eventually sell. I, just not because they don't want to keep the kid around because um, he is supremely, ta supremely talented. I think it's more of, you're going to have a team from Europe just come in and say, we're going to just throw a bag of cash. You write the number and, you know, shake hands. We're good to go. 
um, Obed Vargas is going to be that valuable. Uh, just like Rusnak, his calm on the ball is really good. Um, he, he's so quick to turn and then just go from zero to 60 in a blink of an eye. Um, he, so he's quick in that regard. He's really pinpoint on his passes. The ball just jumps off of his foot. Um, there's so many skills to Obed Vargas. And then now you see him picking up new skills. At the start of the season, there was something that he didn't have that just against Charlotte, I, we noticed. And that was that he knows how to take a fact. And he's been watching Nicholas Ladero, and Nico Ladero is, is an expert at this. Basically, if somebody's on his back, he'll just slow up by a half a degree and go down. And that's something that Nico's done, you know, hundreds of times. And Obed has learned that in quick order. Um, so now that he knows that, you know, the, the little secret of Nico's game, he's just picking up these things from his teammates. And as he continues to do that, but meanwhile, having the really, really good raw skill that he does, that people like Wade Weber with Tacoma Defines, the people like Brian Schmetzer, Andy Rose, uh, Freddie War, as all the coaches are teaching him, um, all of this together is building this super soccer player. Yes, it has been terrible to lose to Alpalo. He is such a massive part of this team. Um, MVP candidate last year, third in the voting. I mean, uh, he is huge. Um that changes the way this team works. Obviously, Joao Paulo liked to get forward. Obed Vargas does not get as forward as Joao Paulo did. Um, so it, it does hurt them in that regard. But at the end of the day, um, you, you couldn't have asked for a better person and a better player to step in than Obed Vargas because this kid is ready for the bright lights and he has shown as much. When you're talking about players like Obed Vargas, who is new on the scene in Seattle, you know, who are some of these other players that might be role players or lesser known players that LAFC fans should be aware of in this upcoming match this weekend? So one of the things with the, the match this Saturday, and listen, this this is a, a fluid situation, obviously, but uh, Brian Schmetzer reported that Javier Arriaga will be out for Tuesday's match against Vancouver as a precaution for his injury. Um, if Yamar Gomez Andrade is still out for the match on Saturday, then your center back duo will be Javier Arriaga next to a young kid named Jackson Reagan. Um, and Jackson Reagan, uh, I swear, it's not just because we share the same name that I love the kid. I've been saying it for, for years now. I was, I was ahead of this in, in Seattle, way ahead further than anybody. Um, Jackson Reagan is another name that I'm not sure if he goes overseas. Um, center backs from this league typically don't do that. Um, you know, it, it's just it's 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 not really done that much. But Jackson Reagan could be the next great MLS center back, like a Chad Marshall, um, which is obviously fresh in the minds of many Seattleites. Um, he is big. He's good on the ball. He's quick. Um, he is. It has that kind of quiet leadership that a Chad Marshall did. Um, He's a really, really good player. And, and, you know, there's many out here that think that Jackson Reagan is, is going to be a sounder for a long time. He's from Seattle, played with a youth team, Seattle United here, went off to play for Michigan Wolverines, ended up getting drafted uh, by the Chicago Fire. They didn't want him for some reason. They traded him back to Seattle for, I believe, like a second round MLS super draft pick. So um, <laughs> and now the Sounders have what is a massive defensive addition. And, you know, in, in a team that is so stacked offensively with Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, national team players, Raul Ruiz Diaz, which, you know, if Peru took him, then they would be in the World Cup. But that was a dumb decision, wasn't it, Peru? Um, Nicholas Ladero in the midfield, you know, and then you have 
have a, you know, a rough snack and, and an Obed, you know, with, with, with as stacked as that team is, you know, they, there's not really lower level players. The lowest level player is your Jackson Reagan. He's a guy that, you know, you know is opposing teams. You may look at and say, oh, they don't have Yamar. Yeah, we're looking at our chops. We can score on Seattle today. Mm, get ready to meet Jackson Reagan because you may not have that opportunity. Well, I think Mamadou Fall might have something to say about who's the best <laughs> up-and-coming center back, but Reagan is certainly someone we're excited yeah. to get a look at. Uh, hopefully he lays an egg and uh, lets in about five or six goals, but we'll, we'll see. I, I doubt that's going to be the case. But speaking of LAFC Seattle matchups, we got 13 meetings in our history, six wins for LAFC, Five wins for Seattle, two ties. Two of those Seattle wins, of course, weighing a little heavier in our minds is, of course, them coming in the playoffs. But there's a bit of a rivalry sparking between these two clubs, uh, at least from the black and gold perspective. Do you feel that that is felt the same up in Seattle as well, too? 100%. The 100% this rivalry is a real thing. Um, we have felt it. We are definitely going into it. So much so that I think, you know, for, for me at least, and, you know, LA Galaxy were the monkey on Seattle's back for, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Two thumbs way down. They were the monkey on Seattle's back for so many years the the team seattle just couldn't get by in the postseason and la galaxy are winning all of these titles and you know we just weren't there yet and we were winning open cups but we couldn't get by them and for the sounders when they finally got over the hump it was kind of a dam that broke and you know suddenly sounders win 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 and win some more and we've seen what they've done in mls cups over the last six years right and I, I, not to say that you guys are going to get over the hump and do the same thing, because we sure hope that won't happen up here. But what it is to say is I feel like the Sounders have been to you guys at LAFC to what the Galaxy were to us. And it's that team that kind of just kept being on the monkey on the back. And we take pride in being on the monkey on the back. We have no intention of getting off of your back. You know, get comfortable because it's going to be the monkey on your back for quite a while. But we we take pride in the fact that we eliminated you guys at your house at the bunk of California Stadium uh, that we eliminated there when you were the best team in MLS history. We were heavy underdogs in that game. And so much of you know, the, the, the pelting of the, the alcohol on our players after the win and, and how that came where Atuesta gets that great goal at the start of the game, you know, what, 13th, 16th minute, something like that. And then we storm back. Um, how that win came, fueled it. And then on top of just the way the fans responded after that game. And then the playoff performances then going forward. I mean, and and we're not even going to talk about the MLS's back tournament. That's just Portland can enjoy that, whatever. But but listen, at the end of the day, like you look at what really matters in those playoff games, MLS Cup playoffs. We love the fact that we keep knocking you out. So, so, you know, I'm sure galaxy fans love doing it to us, but uh, you know, we are, we are right there in those shoes right now. Well, I, I do hope that at some point LAFC is able to exercise some of these demons, uh, whether it's, not it's with us, just not against us. Oh no, we've got plenty. We've got plenty of demons that we have to exercise and, you know, it eventually, eventually it'll be ours. Like I know that it'll happen, but in terms of, the expectations for this weekend and this season. First of all, what do you think Seattle is going to do this weekend on Saturday? And how do you think Seattle is going to fare when it comes to playoff time? Yeah, so just looking at Saturday first, I'm not sure how much it has to do with, with what we see on Tuesday against Vancouver um, because there should not be any um, rotation from, from that should be. And moreover, you are going to get guys back like Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan. Those guys are, are going to be healthy and they're going to be chomping at the bit. 
you know, after after not getting or I guess for the United States, obviously, Jordan was a he should get a, a, an assist for what happened for the United States and that one of those goals. Um, but for Christian Roldan, he's chomping at the bit. Right. So you're going to get that back. Um, you're going to get a couple other guys back. Ariaga is already back for the Sounders. There won't be much rotation. So I think for, for Saturday's game, the expectation is at least a point, if not all three points for Seattle, because you are going to have a stack team ready to go, motivated and wanting to, to you know, if they can get past Vancouver too, continue this start of this kind of next part of the season on a high note against a team that we just talked about. They are now developing into a rival. They don't want to fall against an LAFC. Um, so, so I think they will be supremely motivated to go out and get a result. So there are high expectations for LAFC on Saturday, high expectations, very high expectations for Vancouver. That is kind of lo- a lot of people are look, looking at that as, you know, I wouldn't say a must three points, but you got to look good. Um, in the first half, better than you've looked in the first halves here recently, um, no matter who is starting in place of Jordan and Christian. Um, for the season overall, expectations are probably just as high. Um, yes, you've already won CONCACAF Champions League. Yes, you're low in the standings right now. I don't think any of that matters. You look at the roster from man one to man 27, whatever it is, um, it's still probably the most stacked roster, one of the most stacked rosters in this league. Um, you have a dynamic front six that can go to toe to toe with anybody. Um, you have elite defenders in Nuhu and Yamar Gomez Andrade, and you have the best goalkeeper in the league in Stephen Fry. So when you put all that together, if, and it's a big if, underline it, italicize it, bold it, if this team is healthy come October, the expectations will be MLS Cup. Um, if they're healthy, because when, as we've seen for the Sounders in years past, when they are healthy, they make a run to MLS Cup. So, yeah, if, if they're healthy come playoff time, that's, that will be the expectation as it always is. Like This is a Seattle team that has been in last place in the middle of summer and still gone on to host a cup at the end of the season. You guys seem to have that magic secret sauce of getting it together at the right time down. Very well-run club, and we appreciate you coming and representing them today. But once again, folks, our opponent correspondent this week has been Jackson Feltz. You can follow him at Jackson B. Feltz. He is the host of Sounders Weekly on 93.3 FM KGR Seattle and uh, also contributes to the Seattle Sounders pre- and post-game show. Sir, thank you so much for coming on Shoulder to Shoulder. We really appreciate you coming and sharing your thoughts. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Folks, after this, we will be right back with segment three of today's show. This is Will Koontz, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, Chris, we have been all prepared for our upcoming match versus the Seattle Sounders. We've gotten a really good rundown of what to expect from our homie Jackson Feltz. So what do you think is going to transpire up north at Lumen Field when we take on the fighting plastic pitches of the Seattle Sounders? I think it'll be hopefully a good result. LAFC was not, if we can remember, a couple weeks back. LAFC was kind of struggling a little bit. We were kind of limping into this international break, looking for an opportunity to just you know, recover a little bit, get a little bit of rest underneath us. You know, we had the the win against Columbus. We had the win against San Jose, but again, the loss to the Galaxy. So I, I, I think that we'll see a team that's fresh and refreshed and hopefully healthy. And I think that that is going to be an exciting thing to see, especially because even, you know, like Jackson had mentioned, the standings and where Seattle is at, that's not truly representative of 
what they are capable of. We know that they took a lot of losses at the beginning of the season so that they could be able to focus on the Conca Champions League. And it worked out and it paid off for them. And they now have, what is it, four or five more months to be able to recover into position. And as long as they're in seventh place, you know, they're in the MLS playoffs. But it'll be interesting to see. It's always hard to to dictate what kind or predict what kind of match you're going to have in Seattle because the pitch is so inconsistent and the ball doesn't play true. But we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. I think that LAFC is going to come out. They're going to look rested. They're going to look more prepared and more like the LAFC that we are all expecting to see. I'm going to disagree just because of the fact that this game is on turf. And it's on turf that has been described by many players as as very difficult on the body. When you have players like Escobar, Eddie Segura, Ismail Tajori Shradi that are all coming back from injury. I don't want any of those guys to see any minutes in Seattle. And frankly, given our performance versus Seattle in the playoffs, I would be perfectly fine with the Las Vegas lights roster heading up to Seattle, not revealing anything in our hand, let them run away with the game and feel that they have something figured out versus LAFC and then come back and play our A game against them when we inevitably meet up with them at some point in time in the postseason, as has played out so many times already in the past. And so I'm not so worried about this game versus Seattle. Now, if we go up there and we start Eddie Segura, uh, Tajori Shradi gets minutes, Escobar gets a lot of minutes, then I'm going to be very concerned about the health of the roster coming out of that game. And I would be more concerned if we go up there and put in a poor performance playing our A-team. If I'm Chirundolo, I am not putting out the A-team. I'm not putting all my eggs in the Seattle basket. And I'm not too concerned about the results of this game. Would I love for LAFC to walk away with the win? Of course, we are. We all love the black and gold and want to see them win. And if it's, you know, our, our bench players, our role players that go up there and get us a dub, fantastic. This team has the depth to show that off. But I would be perfectly fine with a well-rotated squad going up there and just putting in a solid shift. Everybody comes home safe and sound and healthy. And if we walk away with a point as a result of it, fantastic. But I'm not so married to the fact that this is a must-win game for LAFC. In fact, I don't think it's a game in which any of those people that have had injury concerns, you know, even the Hollingsheads and some of the others that have picked up little knocks throughout the course of this last month, don't need them to be in this game if it's me. I agree with that. I, I don't feel like this is a must win for LAFC. I don't think that if we were to, if we play well and take a loss, I think that people are going to be like, well, you know, it happens in Seattle. But with that said, I don't want to see us just hand it over either. I don't want to see us just accept, put in rotational players. Unless, of course, th- those are the players that are playing because of injuries. But if we have available players, I don't, I don't see us needing to play the players that are recovering from injuries, but I, I don't want to not put in a player that's perfectly healthy and has been healthy this whole season just to avoid them from being potentially exposed to an injury. I mean, I just, you know, you look at what happened with ACFC this week where Kristen Press goes out there and is fighting hard in an away game and ends up tearing her ACL and is going to be out for the rest of the season. You know, I mean, this game is not worth losing one of our star players to injury 
And again, I don't think if we put a heavily rotated squad up there, we're going to be putting out players that are just going to be skipping across the pitch and looking to pick flowers, right? I mean, these guys are going out there to win a game. It doesn't matter if it's someone from the Las Vegas Lights or someone that we consider part of our starting 11. Um, They're going to go out there and they're going to fight to win. And I expect that from anyone donning a black and gold jersey. But I don't want to see our players that are coming back from injury pressed into a lot of minutes in this game given the conditions and and i know look there's a lot of teams that play with turf in this league and you know you got to go out there and perform on those days as well too and you can't take every pitch game off just just because it's a turf game and and i get that but this particular game given our injury woes given the fact that once again we are we're just a couple weeks away from facing the galaxy again where i i insist upon our best players being available fresh and ready for that game Dolo's got to manage the minutes throughout the course of the end of June, beginning of July. So that one week into July, when Carson comes up to Banky California stadium, we are firing on all cylinders with our best players. So that means a few minutes likely for the players coming back from injury, because uh, they've got to be ready come that, that second game in July. But I, I just, it, to me, it results don't matter in this game. Fitness is what matters at the foremost in my mind. Um, my prediction for the game I think Seattle, this means a lot more to them winning at home versus LAFC, proving that the CCL hangover is not going to affect this team. They need points right now in order to fight their way back up the standings. They have a pretty fresh and healthy roster with the exception of Jopalo. But again, I just think that Seattle is going to give us their best. And I don't think that LAFC needs to go up there and put out the best roster. I understand what you're saying. And I, I see it. I'm fine either way. You know, given what you just said, I'm okay either way. I, I just, I want, I just want this team to write the ship, bro. I just want to see this team get through these hard times, write this ship, beat the galaxy, move on to the playoffs and kill it. Like, that's what I want. And I think, again, if, if that's the end goal, points in Seattle are not necessarily the path to that goal if it is at the expense of fitness or performance versus Carson. If, if in one hand, it's go up to Seattle, play your A team, destroy them, and then maybe not be able to field your entire desired starting 11 versus Carson, that to me is not a worthy trade-off. And I get it. Look, you play the game in front of you, you prepare the game in front of you, and I respect that mentality. But I think all of us are just so disgusted with the way this team is played versus the Galaxy that we, we've got to make sure that that performance come July is very different from the one we saw last month down in Carson. But uh, any final thoughts on the Seattle game before we go ahead and wrap up one twenty three? No, man, I think that I think it'll be good. I'm just glad to be back and uh, looking forward to the uh, next phase of the season. Folks, we would like to sincerely thank you for listening to episode 123 of shoulder to shoulder podcast. We would like to thank Jordan Harvey, the man, the myth, the legend for joining us as today's guest. We'd also like to thank Jackson Feltz, joining us as our opponent correspondent this week. Once again, our best well wishes to the Aparicio family. Christian, hopefully you and X are home safe and sound by the time we finish recording and everything is going swimmingly for y'all. And we catch you back here on the next one. Folks, you can follow us at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. Reach out to us with a DM if you ever want to come on the show and, and offer your two cents about this black and gold. But on behalf of Chris Christian, the legend, sound engineer Wilton, and myself, Jonathan, we'd like to thank you all for listening to this week's episode. Take us home, Sticks. Show them to show them.
together this our culture Feel the force of a supernova Stay fly in that FC Dorsum Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy Cape so mommy about to drop her fifth They want me to stop, but I ain't Come to my house, I'll defend that bank